0: With ESG cementing itself as a must-have in the European private equity landscape, what are the key current issues on the minds of sponsors? How can an ESG framework be used to drive value during an investment period, in particular in the case of Bain Capital and BC partners-backed packaging business Fedrigoni? And will sponsors' enthusiasm for ESG wane in the face of looming recession and questions around performance? We'll be discussing all this and more in today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. My name's Harriet Matthews. I'm funds editor at Unquote Emerging Market, and I'll be your host for today. Now, we've got a pretty vast topic for today's episode in the form of ESG. And we'll be exploring this in the form of a case study of Bain Capital's investment in Italian packaging producer, Fedrigoni, via an interview with Bain Capital's Ivano Sessa. But ahead of this, I'm pleased to welcome to discuss all of this with me today, Will Kane, Head of Analytics for the EMEA region across m and and ECM at Ion Analytics. Will, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem at all. Now, just to to kick things off, this is a very broad topic, as I said, but I wondered if you could share a little bit about sort of what you've been exploring or what's on your mind in terms of ESG topics and and trends at the moment. What's kind of been developing recently?
1: I think one of the more encouraging uh, signs that I've certainly seen in uh, ESG over the years has been a shift um, more from. Um, divestment, which was, I think, an initial knee-jerk type of reaction to uh, dealing with companies that were in some way problematic from an environment, social, or governance perspective, and more of an attempt to engage. And um, I think that's important for for, for a lot of reasons. But um, Most importantly, it means that things can actually change because um, just washing uh, your hands of something or for for investors just to to kind of say, we're just not going to deal with these um, problems, I think was a bit of a a flawed approach. And what we're increasingly seeing is investors um, sometimes... Uh, accepting that even though a, a generally good business has got certain issues it needs needs to deal with, or even um, companies in sectors which we might uh, consider difficult from an ESG perspective, like fossil fuel companies, um, how can we transform those businesses and, and make them into more environmentally friendly companies rather than just disengaging? kind of looking to to really deal head on with some of those problems and generate value in the process. So Mm -hmm. that would be, I think, probably one of the most interesting uh, and positive changes um, over the recent years.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's been accompanied by a kind of shift in an approach to ESG where, uh, you know, at the same time, it's no longer being used as a kind of lens of we, we won't invest in this as a new investment because sponsors are realizing that actually they can distinguish their portfolio companies from potential comparables or competitors by making them you know more ESG compliant, having the best environmental practices, um, having the best social and governance practices. Rather than saying you know we weren't going to this because of these problems kind of as you as you say, they're thinking how can we take a kind of operational approach which private equity always argues it's uh, it's very good at. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that is really interesting. And, and obviously, at the, at the moment, um, or sort of in, increasingly, I guess, and I think our, our colleagues at, at Merger Market have written about this, um, ESG due diligence is, is a really huge topic. We're seeing sponsors hire people in-house. Um, a few examples from last year, I guess, would include switch You, You um, also uh, the Riverside Company kind of formalizing its ESG structures with a, an internal uh, internal move, internal appointment. And in all of those roles, people are engaging with uh, you know, their own firm at kind of management company level, and they're doing an awful lot with the portfolio, and ESG seems to be really embedded into their investment processes.
1: Absolutely, yes. And so um, one of the things that we've been looking at um, recently has been around this uh, focus on supply chains because obviously um, as um, – um, as companies look to deal with um, environment and social and governance issues uh, in a more kind of holistic way, it's become important to kind of expand that from their own operations to also um, companies in their supply chain. There's a new law in Germany, which we recently covered, which is obliging uh, companies to understand all the aspects of their, of their supply chains, um, which has obviously major implications for due diligence in particular. And so that's certainly one area, you know, it's an... Uh, it's a, a new and emerging area of of es of ESG, um, which is becoming um, important. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I think then the other um, kind of interesting bit of content which we've which we've covered. Um, has been around um, actually an interview with Carsten Block, who is a, who is an equity market, a short seller, but um, kind of highlights maybe why um, private equity has had a bit of an edge in this area compared to maybe public markets companies um, where you can sometimes have governance issues which go unchallenged for long periods of time. And that obviously then can can lead to problematic outcomes um so, so there's a lot of focus on the e and the s uh, on public markets and but less so on on the governance side obviously with private equity, um, they've always had uh, you know reasonably solid uh, kind of frameworks around all three components of that, which is obviously kind of gives them a, an advantage in terms of some of the uh, types of assets and transformation programs they're able to deliver
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's true um I've spoken to to colleagues, uh, kind of within within our company, and, and to people externally as well, asking them about governance. You know, in within the kind of uh, within the frame of a private equity investment, and um, you know, something might be identified on the E or the the S side quite early on that could cause an investor to maybe reject an investment or maybe make them think twice. Um, but on on the G, that seems to just be a, a filter that private equity automatically does and when that uh, g part perhaps fails or is not looked into as closely it has pretty catastrophic consequences um certainly reputation wise and of course the majority of sponsors who raise close-ended institutional funds are accountable for you know to, to their lps on all of this uh whether it's reporting um or you know any, anything else you know communicating with them so yeah that's a that's a really interesting point and I'd encourage anyone who who's able to access that interview to uh, to to take a look um it's a really really interesting piece and with that let's now take a listen to the interview that we've got for you with Ivano Sessa partner at Bain Capital on Fedrigoni and we'll be back with you after that Ivano, welcome to the Unquote Private Equity podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me and to speak to me today.
2: Thanks a lot and thanks a lot for uh, having me here.
0: No problem at all. Now, I'd like to start with just setting up a bit of background context with you on Bain Capital's investment in Fedrigoni. Our listeners may well be familiar with Fedrigoni um, as a company and uh, your, your investment in it, particularly as, unquote, sister publication, Merger Market was reporting quite extensively on the most recent process involving the company last year. So, Ivano, what was the strategic importance of acquiring Fedrigoni in 2017 for Bain? And then why last year in July was it the right time to bring in BC Partners as a partner in the investment?
2: Sure. Uh, back in seventeen, it was really about uh, two fundamental reasons. The first one is the intrinsic quality of uh, the business uh, and the broader uh, industry. And the second one was the opportunity to, to transform it. Uh, in terms of intrinsic quality, we really like the, the growth opportunity in the business. Uh, we really like the diversification of end markets and clients. And we like very much the ability to grow the business by supporting clients in enhancing their packaging solution from a sustainability uh, point of view. Uh, The combination of uh, of those uh, drivers and those features really made a very strong case in terms of intrinsic quality of the asset and more broadly intrinsic quality of the industries where we play in uh, both the the labels part of the business, as well as the luxury packaging part of the part of the business. And in addition to that, of course, there was a, a real opportunity, which we underwrote as Bank Capital back then in 17 to transform uh, the business. And so to take the business to the next level uh, in terms of the quality of the top team, in terms of organic top line growth, in terms of margin and in terms of cash generation. Now, fast forward five years, I would say the, the rationale for the transaction with, uh, with BC is, is very much along the lines of continuing um, some of those trends. We, we have had a very good ride at but we think there is a lot more to go for. And so as Bank Capital, we're really excited to reinvest alongside BC partners. Uh, at the same time, we continue to see a strong flow of uh, opportunities from an MA point of view. And having a fresh, new uh, capital structure and liquidity also allowed to pursue um, even better uh, some of those uh, opportunities.
0: I see. Particularly important in this market as well, I guess, to kind of be well capitalized and, and have, that, have that structure, as you say.
2: Absolutely. With, with a much longer maturity on the capital structure than what we had before, because it was an old capital structure, of course.
0: Sure. Um, and le- less pressure, I suppose, to exit either when it's sort of not the the right time for the business as well, right?
2: Indeed, although. You know, uh, Fedrigoni uh, was in the end a competitive process and BC was uh, one of the several funds very interested in the asset competing in the auction. And, you know, eventually was it was competitive for them. And mm. there was a lot of interest on, on the asset, despite the difficult market conditions because of the very strong performance and track record of the business. But as I said, uh, as Bank Capital was both a good opportunity um, to get some liquidity in Fund 4, but also uh, a very good opportunity for Fund 6 to reinvest uh, alongside them, because there is very there is simply a lot more to go for in the next years with, uh, with February.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm keen to to get into that topic a little bit more with you. You've hinted at some of the the qualities that sort of um, supported your investment thesis, I guess, in FedrigoNI, and now we're about um, six months into BC's sort of uh, partnership alongside you in Fedrigoni. Um, What are your plans for further building on what you've done so far with the business in terms of ESG and value creation? Where do you now see the most potential for growth?
2: So we continue to see uh, a number of drivers that we support the growth of the business in the next five years. And that is what, um, to be honest, we've always liked about Fedrigoni. It's not just about one or two things uh, you're going to get right. It's about uh, a set of very different drivers. Uh, Fedrigoni is about... Organic top line growth. Uh, I'll come back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Is still about a margin improvement opportunity. We still see uh, both in operational excellence and procurement significant opportunity to go for um, in the next years. Uh, there is still M&A uh, to go uh, about, and there is a very long uh, M&A actionable pipeline. Uh, we want to um, continue to to work on. Uh, And last but not least, there is a overall great profile that uh, is generating cash uh, through the years and will yield to, uh, we think, significant exit optionality uh, in in a few years. Now, back to growth. Why do we grow? We grow for a couple of reasons. The first is that in our end markets, both in label uh, and in luxury packaging, there is growth. There is growth when we serve the luxury world. We continue to see, even in 23, a you know, very uh, complicated year from a macro point of view, we see growth of the luxury world, but we also see growth in the other markets, in, uh, in wine, champagne, in food, in beverage, in healthcare, in, uh, in personal
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, care, in cosmetics. So that helps. But on top of that, uh, Fedrigoni has been able to gain share in the two respective businesses, both labels and luxury packaging over the years. And we expect some of that um, that will continue. And last but not least, our products are penetrating uh, packaging solutions of our clients and that I give you An example that one of the great things from a sustainability point of view uh, is not just what we do as a business and we do a lot clearly but is how we support and help our clients um, to have better packaging solutions for themselves and so this is a lot about uh, our plastic to paper uh, battle and the ability to support brands in doing that. And so think about simple things in life. Think about makeup palettes. Think about uh, lipstick or makeup packaging. Think about flower wrapping. Think about shopping bags without plastic lamination. Think about transparent gift boxes. All those things were done, are done in plastic. All those things we can substitute with fiber-based materials which are, of course, a lot better for the environment. And this is where a good chunk of the organic supply and growth on the business on the luxury packaging side is coming from.
0: And I guess that's where the ESG side must come in for, for you as well, right, in terms of your kind of considerations. Can you maybe speak a little bit more about that? You've mentioned the transition in, in the packaging industry that's really important to kind of more sustainable packaging. But um, c- can you expand on that a bit?
2: So, there are, there are really two sides of our ESG agenda for the next years. The first one is uh, what I touched on, and so is the ability to help and support uh, our clients, uh, particularly on the luxury packaging side, to substitute away plastic with fiber based materials. And that will have a massive impact on uh, them and their ability to market their products uh, into um, their clients' base uh, and on the broader. Um, number of, of tons of plastics uh, produced, which would clearly be avoided by having a much better uh, much better material. So that is a very exciting um, and uh, um, purposeful, I should say, part of uh, our uh, our growth and our ESG agenda. There is a second part, of course, um, that is regarding our own asset base um, and uh, our own uh, a system ability to manufacture and produce. And in the case, uh, we have laid out very clearly in 2030 ESG ambition, uh, whereby we want to reduce CO2 uh, by 30%. We want to have 100% of waste recovered, and we want to have 95% of water recovery. And we are one well on track on those trends. So both a lot of work, um, and uh, frankly, very ambitious goal uh, for us as a business, but also a broader impact in the value chain, a broader impact in the world of luxury and consumer to have more sustainable packaging solutions out there.
0: I see. So it sounds like um, the kind of ESG goals you have with Fedrigoni are quite kind of, I assume they're kind of reflective of or they fit with the other goals that uh, we might typically see looking at the rest of Bain Capital's portfolio?
2: Indeed. And, uh, you know, some of the work we have done and the management team has, has led for us in Fedrigoni uh, has been recognized in the course of 22. And that was was great to see with uh, with the Platinum ecobalis, uh level, which which is top one percent. Uh, in uh, in companies out there with a score on environmental, there was 100 out of 100. So uh, a lot of recognition also of the work we have done, but at the same time, still a lot of work ahead. And uh, as you say, that's very consistently with what we want to do with uh, with our broader um, industrial portfolio and the broader portfolio at Bank Capital. Uh, it's a lot around... Um, making our assets uh, better, our business better for uh, the broader uh, ecosystem and the broader environment. And so ESG metrics are, are key from that point of view on environmental, but uh, also on all the rest of the broader ESG equation. But uh, it's also very much around how we can impact the broader value chain uh, to, do, to do better. And so the case of Fedrigoni, but frankly also the case of Alstor, in our broader industrial portfolio—a very good example of uh, not just getting better from an ESG point of view uh, inside your house, but allowing your customers um, to get a lot better in terms of their packaging solutions. Um, in uh, in both uh, in both cases, that's that really drives us. I have to say, that really drives management team, that really drives the ability to retain and attract phenomenal talent. Uh, in uh, in our companies when you can put together a great story of growth and success value creation uh, but also allowing the world um, to to get better and allowing the environment to get better um that's that's really what we know there
0: right and you mentioned a little earlier kind of exit optionality and and ensuring that that's there uh when it comes to the value creation and i guess, ESG must play a role in in that as well, right, in kind of preparing the company for any potential exit route a little further down the line?
2: It does. It definitely does. Now, uh, of course, um, I cannot say um, a a lot more. Uh, We we literally closed uh, two months back end of November, so it's very, very early days to Think through exit, but uh, one of the things that gets us excited about the Federighi Tupano is is definitely the strategic relevance of this asset, and the, is the opportunity to continue to grow it uh, and build uh, even stronger exit optionality over uh, over the years. Now, whether this is going to be a private uh, sales exit or it's going to be an IPO, it's frankly too early to say, but. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, institutional investor and private equity interest in the asset in 22. We still see a lot of interest out there for the asset from both the private market and the public market. And so uh, our job right now is to do the right things in the business, continue to build um, strategic relevance in the asset and then at some point evaluate uh, those exit options in a few years.
0: We've touched on on this a little bit, I think, or, or you have rather Ivano but Fedrigoni obviously is, uh, is an industrials business in terms of the, the sector in which it operates. I wanted to ask you a bit about that sector kind of more broadly. Um, how and where do you think that private equity sponsors can make the most difference in this sector. Is it about the E in ESG that we've mentioned a little bit in terms of the goals that you have in your portfolio? Or are there also kind of certain industrial subsectors that have a particularly long way to go in terms of ESG improvements where private equity can uh, step in and uh, assist with that, that progress or transition? So
2: if you think about uh, the broader uh, ESG uh, ambition and agenda, uh, there are a few places where uh, you can differentially create more, more value, valuable impact than, than industrial. Uh, because clearly, um, a lot of the uh, industrial manufacturing base out there uh, is responsible uh, for a fair amount of uh, of of CO two and for a fair amount of the E part of the uh, ESG equation. And so the ability that the institutional investors can have in acquiring these assets, in transforming these assets, in making them better, if you think about making a difference in the environment out there, um, there, are there are not that many. Uh, other uh, alternatives to do it. And that's definitely a strategic goal uh, for us at May capital for our European and global industrial uh, franchise uh, to leave companies uh, better uh, than how we acquire them, um, not just from a uh, financial value creation point of view, but also in terms of the broader uh, impact. And the way I think about ESG, frankly, is just another lens of, of risk return. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's, it's not a set of metrics. is is a way you look at your performance and you really weigh your performance, you risk adjust your performance, and more importantly, the sustainability of your performance over the next five ten years. Um, f- from our point of view, uh, being uh, you know like the example of Rigoni Alström is the same. Being a top one percent, being an Ecoval platinum means a recognition in your broader industry sector value chain, with your suppliers, with your clients, that uh, you you are top in supporting them from that point of view. And this is gonna be more and more a license uh, to the business and as such very relevant uh, parts of uh, what we wanna do in transforming our assets and how we want them to uh, be perceived uh, in the marketplace uh, out
1: uh, out there.
0: Now, I'm speaking to you, Ivano, sort of fairly near the outset of 2023, and it's a year that looks set to be very challenging, of course, but it should also yield plenty of opportunities for private equity. So in light of this, taking a kind of broader picture now, what are your investment priorities at Bain Capital over the next 12 months or so?
2: So we continue to be very constructive uh, towards uh, new investments uh, in, in the course of uh, 23, though clearly uh, the environment out there is, uh, is is a lot more complicated than now it was in the last uh, years. And that's really driven by uh, the macro uh, pictures where whether it's going to be soft recession or for a long wait, we just don't know, uh, but there is a complicated macro picture out there. And as a consequence of that, there is an availability uh, and the cost of financing uh, for the world of private equity, which is clearly a lot different from uh, six, nine months uh, ago. And, uh, you know, having been in the industry for 20 years, th- these are very typical moments in the cycle where the... The uh, bid up spread between seller and buyers just gets um, just gets wider uh, and uh, and it's more difficult to get transactions done. and I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to have uh, a quieter q one q two in two thousand and twenty three in terms of overall private equity transaction and then possibly everyone will want to be uh, constructive uh, again, and the spreads bid us will will close uh, and and the market will will come back. At the same time, private equity as an industry, both in Europe and globally, has a significant amount of the uh, wants to be constructive, um, and uh, we still see activity. Uh, we see activity in terms of uh, transactions that don't require much leverage or require much leverage or require a reasonable amount of leverage. We see um, deals where uh, sponsors are also going 100% equity. We see significant amounts of uh, activity at portfolio level so um, the industry uh, is constructive and we think will continue to be constructive and from our point of view we certainly uh, will want to get new deals done uh, in the course of this year
0: i see so a lot of uh, sort of creative energy i guess being channeled into combating the challenging uh, financing markets that, that we're seeing out there at the moment
2: indeed indeed that's uh, that's definitely a a barrier right now for uh, for RBOs, but as I said, um, there are there are a number of constructive ways you can try to go around it, and uh, still transactions are happening. Though very clearly, the flow of transactions in uh, European private equity has, has slowed down in the last weeks and months.
0: Yes, of course. And I wondered if you could add anything, uh, Ivano, in terms of uh, sectors or subsectors, sectors um, and your approach to them this year in terms of uh, Bain Capital's kind of core uh, investment themes. Are you going to be sort of focusing on certain areas more than others? Where do you expect to see the, the greatest opportunity potentially? So
2: we continue to be constructive across sectors. So we operate in uh, technology, uh, media, financial and business services. We operate in consumer, in industrial in healthcare, and we are constructive across, and we see opportunities across, uh, particularly at moments of contraction and recession and lack of leverage. As we are now, uh, our capital can be even more scarce for, uh, for families, for corporates, in general, for, uh, for businesses out there. So we are constructive across. Um, clearly, what's, what's relevant to us is uh, is the transformation opportunity in businesses and in sectors. As, as you have seen with Fedrigoni, this combination of really liking the intrinsic quality, of assets and industries, and at the same time, liking a lot of the opportunity to go and transform, uh, get better, get to full potential assets. Uh, that's really uh, underpinning our investment strategy, and is very true and valid for industrial, and this is valid across our, uh, our different sectors where we operate.
0: Absolutely. Well, um, I look forward to to hearing more more news and uh, you know covering more more activity, be it deal making or, or fundraising uh, from from Bain in the next twelve months or so. And thank you very much, Ivano, for taking the time to speak to me today and uh, for telling us uh, you know me and, and our listeners more about uh, Fedrigoni. Really appreciate it.
2: Thanks a lot to Yariet. Was uh, was a pleasure.
0: So thank you again to Ivano Sessa for taking the time to speak to us. Will, what stood out to you about that interview? Do you want to highlight any key takeaways, anything you found particularly interesting?
1: Yeah, I think the key thing really is how holistic the, the approach is right across the business from um, the original investment thesis, as you kind of asked, um, was it really had esg built into it in terms of that was the opportunity um uh, the opportunity to transform the business um and and how that tied in with the with the growth plans the margin plans the cash flow all of those kinds of things um and right across from the business's own operations into the supply chain and the customers um so i think that's the the key thing that i would um highlight out of it really that ESG is not just a box-ticking exercise necessarily, but um, really a key part of the value proposition.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think when a company's kind of ESG goals that should be sort of put in place anyway sort of match up with top-line growth, which is what Ivana's obviously arguing, um, then PE has a, a very strong kind of thesis. It has a has a strong argument to make. And clearly it seems like it's important um, for Bain Capital and and obviously kind of Co-Investor BC partners as well to be able to show that on exit there have been improvements in terms of how the company operates. And he talked a bit about exit optionality, obviously couldn't say too much to that, um, but uh, as I kind of mentioned. Earlier, it seems that in terms of value creation, having a competitive edge on exit, whether it's an IPO where you'll be scrutinized by the public markets, or whether it's a trade sale where a strategic buyer might want uh, to sort of up their game in a particular area using the processes of the portfolio company they're buying, or whether it's another sponsor actually looking to acquire a, a company that has you know decent credentials where there might be some some more room for improvement. Even it seems like it's important to to show that. Obviously, um, Bain will have um, impact uh, KPIs or, or not impact rather, but ESG. And I didn't ask Ivano this, but um, Obviously, it's worth noting that a lot of sponsors now do have their carried interest linked to the attainment of particular ESG KPIs. So they're kind of putting, uh, putting that center stage because it will affect their, uh, their own kind of returns and what, you know, what, they, what they get back from the, the work that they put into those investments.
1: So, yeah, I know you've also done a lot of work um, Harriet on um, impact funds as well. is that um, does that kind of um, build into the types of things um, that were being talked about there?
0: Mm, it's it's tricky. You can kind of make a a distinction I think I, I don't think that Bain would claim this as an impact investment by by any means or Bain, Bain capital wouldn't wouldn't say that, but they are looking at the impact of uh, of the the company on the environment, um, they're looking at the impact they can can make. So in, in very broad terms, there are definitely parallels. But uh, I suppose it's also about the it's also about the value um, creation side. Um, it's about the returns. It's a kind of um, you know a slightly different topic, I guess. And on on a very basic regulatory level, um, you've got the you know article 8 funds um which are kind of you know fully esg compliant to put it very broadly um article 9 would more likely be an impact fund and that would that would go a step further so i think it's you know it's part of a broad trend lp preferences at the moment are very much for um impact broadly they they're very interested in investing in that as a kind of as a strategy impact healthcare getting a lot of attention um on esg that's something that they just Expect sponsors to have and be doing. Um, it's it's a kind of non non negotiable. It's gone from a, a nice to have uh, to uh, a must have. I think for for the majority of kind of established institutional investors.
1: Absolutely, I think the other thing which is really interesting, just listening to those um, the the questions that you're asking and and um, and the comments is um, that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, an industrials business as being one where you can have a really big ESG um, ad- agenda. So normally you would kind of think about particular sectors, So for example, renewables or companies that are really kind of directly um, involved in, in the green economy in some way but I think um, the point the interesting point that was made there was that actually the industrial base of Europe and, and, and the world is actually a massive opportunity to drive um, particularly um, objectives and improvements around um, their environmental impact and and the social um, kind of components as well there um, and, uh, you know, clearly a company like, uh, Gironi, um, where you're dr- moving from plastics to into paper, mm-hmm. you know, it's having a, a, a big positive impact, um, the types of things they're working on with their customers, um, across the labels, um, business and, and the, uh, the luxury, um, packaging kind of component as well, I think, um, really, uh, is a bit of an eye opener in terms of the opportunities that there are in, in across the industrial um, sector.
0: For sure, yeah, and um, you know, in this case, Bain Capital are obviously hoping that that kind of thesis will adjust or will will sort of will be part of uh, the ultimate returns that it that it makes. I guess um, Ivana said, ESG's, uh uh, just, you know, it's another lens of risk return for Bain Capital. It's not just another set of metrics, but it's actually a way uh, that they can weigh and uh, risk adjust performance, paraphrased somewhat. Um, but, you know, very interesting to hear it kind of expressed so clearly, I guess. And I think as, um, you know, we should probably kind of acknowledge the, the environment we're we're in as well, um, just more more broadly, the, the macro environment. Um, while there are some positive indicators i guess in terms of uh, sentiment and deal activity in in certain areas with people expecting a bit of an uptick in the second half of this year there are still well it's it kind of still remains to be seen doesn't it whether all of this positive momentum is uh, is going to continue you know will lps and and gps lose some of the kind of vigor they have around esg implementation when they're faced with a recession, potentially some kind of fundamental operational concerns in parts of their portfolio. I spoke to an advisor recently who raised this um, and they said that actually um, a lot of LPs are finding out that they are less concerned about SFDR than they thought they were. Pretty pretty much a, a direct quote there, which is um, which is very interesting. Um and as as you say, um, or you were saying at the, the start of our conversation, Will, um the kind of you know, shift from a kind of divestment mindset is is a really good sign. Um but let's just hope that it continues, um partly because, you know, it, it seems like a, a good thing for people to be thinking about this more in their investments, but also because sponsors are now accountable within regulatory frameworks and commitments they've signed up to, whether it's you know things like the SFDR or science-based targets. So uh, we will have to keep an eye on how all of that is progressing. And again, that that German supply chain law is is just one of the pieces of legislation that's holding people accountable across various you know systems and company sizes. I guess.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I think so. And um, the other thing I think Ivano mentioned is, was around you know that the recession obviously kind of creates a capital scarcity um and when there is a, a, a scarcity of capital obviously it's more difficult to get good valuations um, but one of the advantages obviously of taking a, a business and transforming its operations um, from uh, a kind of um, from an, from an ESG perspective uh, and that that feeding through not only into having a, a more sustainable business but also having a faster growing business, a more profitable business. Um, and and a business which ultimately is more desirable um, to investors. You can clearly see how um, how the kind of EX, ESG uh, component can 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 also um, kind of help support you in a, in, a, in a tougher environment. So you're bringing an asset to market um, potentially, um, um, which is which is which is a much more kind of attractive business than, than the one that you bought. So. Um, you're going to you know, have better opportunity to, to achieve those, um, those more attractive uh, valuation multiples. And they're going, to, they're going to trade at premiums. We've already seen kind of on the public market side that there is still strong investor appetite for these kinds of uh, companies. And um, obviously, that's going to uh, be a factor in private uh, sector making as well.
0: Yes, and we will of course be sure to keep um, you listener and of course our, our readers across the, the various publications and platforms within analytics updated on uh, you know where, where things are heading and, and how uh, sponsors are continuing to create value and uh, fundraising as well and the role that ESG and uh, sort of regulatory accountability is, is playing there. And uh, I think that's all we have time for on today's episode. So thank you, Will, for joining me. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for for sharing your insights on ESG with me.
1: Thanks very much to you, Harriet. Great to join you.
0: And thank you, listener, for tuning in to another episode. If you like the podcast, then don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you again in the next episode.